I'll be reading verses 19 through 24, 1 John 3. This is God's holy and inspired word. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. For the word of, the, of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As I was reflecting on this passage and studying it this week, the word doubt kept coming to mind. And if you've been a Christian for many years, you've probably had a season of doubt. And there are many reasons why Christians doubt. One reason is maybe because you're dealing with an indwelling sin, a specific sin that you're fighting, that you can't seem to, to beat. It just keeps coming up and resurfacing. And, and as that sin, as you're battling that sin, you're wondering, am I really a Christian? I keep struggling with sin and with this specific sin. I'm no good. God doesn't love me. He, he doesn't forgive me for continuing to do this. And we begin to doubt whether or not we're Christians or not. Another reason may be because we're going through a time of suffering you may have lost a loved one. You may be dealing with your own health issues, chronic fatigue or chronic illness or cancer. And you're wondering, why would a loving God put me through all this suffering, through all this pain and emotional anguish and agony? And you begin to doubt your faith. It might be because of external circumstances that are outside of your control, whether it be world issues or national or local issues that causes you to doubt your faith. But many, if not most of us, go through seasons of discouragement and even doubt. And some of you might be in that season right now. And if that's you, I want you to hear these words from John. He gives us three things in which we can do when doubt arises. When doubt comes on the surface. First, we are to remember that God determines our verdict, our outcome. Second, we are to remain faithful to God, even in times of doubt. And third, we are to rely on the Holy Spirit who is with us in all seasons, and in this situation, particularly that of doubt. So what do we do when doubt comes? Well, first, we remember that God determines the outcome. He determines the verdict. Verse 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. John is saying to us and to the Christians of his day in Ephesus, we shall know that we are of the truth and be reassured that we are before him. 
And the way we do that is whenever our heart condemns us, we're reminded that God is greater than our heart. What is he saying here? Well, first he says, whenever our heart condemns us. What is he talking about? He's talking about our nagging conscience. Our nagging conscience that is condemning us when we sin or when we do something silly. Our nagging conscience is God's monitor for your soul. God's monitor for your soul. Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of engineers today many of whom work at Oak Ridge. And I uh, thought of you as I came up with this illustration. I'm not an engineer. But there is such thing as a Geiger counter. And some people call the heart that condemns us, our nagging conscience, as God's Geiger counter. Do you know what a Geiger counter is? I didn't until I learned more about it. It's one of the world's best-known radiation detection instruments. It's used to detect the presence of radiation by means of ionizing effect. What the Geiger counter detects is when it detects radiation, it gives a visible and it gives an audible reaction or indication. It erupts. So our conscience, our heart, is the reality that is in us when it detects sin. It erupts like a Geiger counter does when it detects radiation. It gives attention to sin. So John says, Christian, don't ignore that nagging Geiger counter conscience that's erupting before you. Don't ignore it. Be aware of that heart that is convicting you, even in some ways condemning you. And so when that Geiger counter conscience goes off, we must not ignore it. But as we deal with sin, we've got to deal with it in light of remembering that God is greater than our conscience, he's greater than our heart, and he's the one who gives the final verdict. So when we sin and when we deal with doubt, we begin to loathe around, and we begin to say, oh, woe is me, and we begin to say, well, I, I can't be a Christian if I continue to do this, or if I continue to think this, or there's no way I can be a Christian because of the conversation I just had, or the thought that I just had. And we begin to condemn ourselves because of our sin. Or maybe when we go through suffering or trial. But we've got to be reminded from the word of God. If you are in Christ, if you are his, then he loves you and he forgives you. He has shown you his mercy and he's given you his grace. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus when your heart condemns you, be reminded that he, does, and he doesn't condemn you. He no longer condemns you. He forgives you. He loves you. You're his child. I like what Martin Luther said about this. He said, conscience is one drop. The reconciled God is a sea of comfort. The reconciled God is a sea of comfort where conscience is just one drop. So when your heart is condemning you, remember that God is greater than your heart. And he does, he does not condemn you. Hear these words from Micah, the Old Testament prophet, Micah 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I love that picture. God, our Father, he forgives us. He no longer condemns us. He cast all of our sin into the depths of the sea. 
That's what he does with our sin. So when you deal with doubt, when you struggle with doubt, the first thing you gotta remember is you gotta remember who's in control, who gives the final verdict, who is the judge. It's not our conscience, it's God the Father. And Christian, if you are in him, he says, you are forgiven, you are no longer condemned. And when you believe that to be true, even in times of doubt, it should help you then approach him with confidence, no longer being brought down by your nagging conscience, but instead be lifted up because you're doing it knowing that God loves you and he's there for you and he's with you. And that's where John's getting at in the next verses, in 21 and 22. He said, we can approach the Lord in confidence. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When you remember God loves you and forgives you, even in times of doubt and discouragement, it should lift up your soul to where you then approach him with confidence as you pray to him, trusting that he has your life in his hands he holds all things together, and he will not only hear your prayers, but he will answer your prayers according to his will and for your good. He will give you what you need, not, only, not always what you want. He'll give you what you need. You know, as I think about verses 21 and 22, I think about how we are to approach God in confidence as we pray to him. But there's two different analogies I want, or pictures I want you to think about. First is what not to do when you approach God in prayer, and second is what to do. So most of you in here have probably seen The Wizard of Oz. You know, it's a classic movie. My kids love The Wizard of Oz. We've seen it a number of times uh, the last few years because they've just really enjoyed that, that movie. And one of my favorite scenes of that movie is when Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the, the Lion, uh, they, they reach for the first time this big mansion of Oz, this castle-like place. And, and you remember the scene where they walk through this long corridor and these, these massive doors and the doors open and all of a sudden they, they see this, this booming fire and this, and this crescendo of music increases in volume and, and, and out of nowhere they hear this voice and it's the powerful Oz. And you remember how he addresses each one of them and he's just angry at them and he yells at them? Well, what does he say to the tin man? He says, step forward, tin man. And the tin man gets up and he's shaking and quaking in fear. And the wizard says to him, do you dare to come to me to ask for a heart? You clinking, clanking, clattering collection of caligonous junk. And right after the wizard says that, what does the tin man do? <laughs> and he just freaks out and he steps back and he's shaking in fear. And then after he addresses the lion, they all run out of there in fear. That's not how we are to approach God. That's not how we are to approach God as believers. But instead, I want you to think about another picture. I want you to think about a father and his son, and they're going on a hike, and they're, and they're just enjoying a beautiful day, and they go on this hike, and, and there's these rocks and this cliff, and, and the father's just walking a little bit ahead of his son, and and he's looking and just really embracing and partaking of the beauty of God's creation. And he's not really paying attention to his son. And next thing he knows, his son had climbed up on this cliff of rocks. And out of nowhere, 
The son says, hey, dad, catch me. And he jumps off this cliff, and the dad, the dad didn't know, and so he turns around, and the son had already jumped off the cliff when he said, hey, dad, catch me. So the dad turns, and the son jumps on him and falls on him, and they all fall to the ground. The dad takes a few moments to regather his breath and composure, and he stands up, and he says, son, what were you thinking? And he said, dad, you're my dad. I knew you had me. You see the difference of how we are approach God? We are to approach him that, like that little boy. He says, Dad, catch me, knowing that he's got us. He's gonna catch us because that's what God does. That's who he is. So when you deal with doubt and discouragement, the first thing you gotta remember is you gotta remember that God is our father and he determines the outcome. He knows all things and he's there with and for you. The second thing as we deal with doubt that John tells us to do is to remain faithful to God. Verses 23 and 24, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. When you go through doubt, there is such thing as just practicing and exercising Christ-centered faith and obedience. There is such things as just remaining faithful. You know what I mean by that? Well, we all have days where we wake up in the morning and we don't wanna read our Bible. Let's be honest. But then we end up reading the Bible and what happens to us? Oh, I'm really glad I read the Bible today. <laughs> There are days where you probably don't want to come to church. Let's just be honest. Let's be frank here. There are days where you probably don't want to get up and come to church. You'd rather sleep in or, or go, go to the lake or do whatever you do. But when you go to church, because you know that God calls us to go to church, you go and you're so glad you went. There are times where, you, where I've told you I haven't wanted to go to small groups sometimes or Bible study because I have other things to, work, to do. And then I go to small group and Bible study. I'm like, man, I'm really glad I went. I'm really glad I went. That's exactly what I needed to hear. We all have moments like that. But there is something about Christ-centered focus and obedience. And as you obey, even in times of doubt, you will find that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword, as we said earlier. It speaks to you. It penetrates your heart. It divides it divides your soul and spirit, and it lifts you up. That's what God does. And so even in times of doubt, even in times of discouragement, I just encourage you in the words of the, of the, of the Bible here to remain faithful, to keep obeying and keep following the Lord, even when you feel like you don't want to. Think about couples who have survived many, many years of marriage until death has done them part. There were days that husband and wife, they wanted to kill each other. There are days where they get mad at each other, but yet they still hold true to their vows until, and still hold true to the commitment. And so often it's that commitment that brings the couple back together and their love for each other is reignited and reinvigorated. Christian, that's what we are to do in times of doubt. We remain faithful to what God has for us. I like what our Westminster Confession of Faith says. It's our Presbyterian doctrine. 
It says, good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith, and by them believers manifest their thankfulness and strengthen their assurance. We strengthen our assurance. In other words, we don't doubt when we practice good works, when we obey, when we seek to do God's will and to live according to his ways. There was a pastor years ago named G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan, he became a pastor when he was young as a teenager. And he started having a lot of success at the age of 19, believe it or not. And when he was 19, he began also not only to have success in ministry, but he began to read books outside of scripture that he probably didn't need to read. He began to read a lot of Charles Darwin and he learned a lot about evolution. He read a guy named Thomas Huxley and Herbert Spencer and as he read all these different authors who were non-Christians and who were teaching evolution, he began to doubt his faith more and more and more. And so he went through a, a hard season of doubt and discouragement. And you know what he did after about a year of this season? He, 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 he stopped all of his preaching assignments and he ended up putting all those books that he was reading, he put them in a lockbox and he set them aside and then he went to the local Christian bookstore and he bought a brand new Bible. And this is what he said. He said, I am no longer sure that this Bible is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this, I am sure. If it is the word of God and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. In other words, he's saying, I'm gonna read this Bible with the hopes that it will assure me of my salvation and of my Christianity. You know what happened? He said, that Bible found me. As he opened up the word out of obedience, and he put aside all this other stuff that was just distracting him from the faith, God began to speak to him, because this word is a living, breathing document. It's alive, it's the word of God. And God speaks to you as you listen to it, as you read it as you discuss it. And that's what happened to G. Campbell Morgan. He ended up having his faith reignited and he's remained true until his death. So what do you do with doubt? You remember that God determines the outcome. He determines the verdict, he's the judge, we're not. You remain faithful to what he has for you to do. And the third thing is very, very important. And that is, when you're going through times of doubt, you are to rely on the Holy Spirit who is with you. Verse 24 said, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. By this we know, we know, we can be confident, we can trust that God abides in us because the Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And when the Holy Spirit enters you, he will never leave you. He's always with you. Christian, I want you to hear these words from the New Testament, Ephesians 1. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, I love that word, he's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. He's not gonna leave us. Once he's in us, he's with us until we die and then we go into heaven. He guarantees 
our salvation, guarantees it. So hear these words from Ephesians when you go through doubt. Holy Spirit has been sealed within you. It's like a stamp that's permanent. He's there, he's with you. Romans 8 tells us the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let that soak in for a moment. Beat that in your mind and heart. He's with you. I say this often, but the Holy Spirit, he does at least four things. He does many others, but I always condense it to four. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he changes us. He gives us a new nature. He changes our minds. He changes our hearts. He regenerates us, and so he makes us a new person. He not, just change, he not only changes us, but he also convicts us. And so that nagging conscience, that Geiger counter that goes off, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is convicting us when we sin. Oh, we shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have thought that. Oh, he's leading me away from that sin. He doesn't just change us and he doesn't just convict us. He also comforts us. You think about how John, or Jesus told his disciples, I'm gonna bring you a helper, a paraclete, a comforter. Someone who will be there. And I love Psalm 46. I said it yesterday at a funeral. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. How is he an ever-present help in times of trouble? Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's ever-present with us. He's our helper. He's our comforter. So when you go through doubt and discouragement, be reminded he's there to bring you comfort. And the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does is uh, he doesn't just change us. He doesn't just convict us. He doesn't just comfort us. He also counsels us. He's our teacher. He illuminates our minds to where when we open up the Bible, it's not just us trying to figure it out on our own, but he's helping us understand what he wants us to know. You know, before you were a Christian, when you read the Bible, you didn't have a clue what was going on, did you? But when you became a Christian, all of a sudden things began to click and make sense when you read the Bible. It's not because it's anything in your power. It's because it's his power. Next week, you're gonna hear a great sermon that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is in you and he is greater than Satan who is of the world and in the world. I didn't know this, but in 1988, there was a new competition in the Winter Olympics and it was blind skiers who would slalom ski, you know, turn left and right and do a slalom ski. And I'm thinking, how in the world do blind people ski? I like skiing. It's winter season. Hopefully, we'll go in a couple weeks, but I like skiing. But how in the world could you do that blind? Well, in 1988, this actually became an event. It started. And, and the reason that these blind skiers were able to blind was they had many, many, many hours of practice with a guide who could see. And they would practice on flat land or flat level. And these guides would, would be there right next to them, coaching them on when to turn left and when to turn right and when to stop and when to slow down and when to pick up speed. But they were always right next to them by their side. If the blind skiers followed the counsel of the sighted skiers, the skiers with sight, then they would make it out okay and they would survive. If they didn't follow the counsel, then it would be a catastrophe. I bring you that example because sometimes in life, we go through doubt, we go through discouragement, and we journey through life as if we're blind. 
We're trying to figure things out. But the good news is, as a Christian, you don't have to figure things out on your own. Holy Spirit is right there with you. He's right there with you, guiding you along, coaching you, counseling you, telling you to turn from sin and telling you to turn to the right direction. And as you follow his counsel, as you follow his leading, as you abide in him, you will continue on the right path. But as you steer away from him, catastrophe can happen. What do you do when doubt comes? You remember God is the judge. Remember that he determines the verdict, the final outcome. Second thing you do is you remain faithful. And the third thing is you rely on the Holy Spirit, knowing he's with you and he's gonna help you restore your faith and regain your confidence in him. Let's pray.